my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. All right, Gary, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, super excited to sit down and catch up and really see what I can learn from you. Uh, you know, I try to approach these, uh, these uh, I don't even want to call them interviews, just conversations as just a way to learn, um, learn what I can learn. And hopefully the audience uh, enjoys that as well. And there's so much that we can learn from well, from everybody, but uh, I'm really excited to learn some stuff from you. So anyway, thanks for taking the time to join me today. Thank you. Thanks. And, Good to uh, be here, Mark. Yeah, man, you've had, uh, you've had quite the career. And, um, you know, when I look uh, sort of over your resume, if you will, um, a pretty extensive career in, in a lot of different areas. So we'll get down to that later, like, uh, you know, potentially how different disciplines sort of helps you. Um, so I want to talk about a couple of big topics. One, I want to kind of talk about some energy stuff. I think it's a really big uh, topic for everybody right now. It's something I spent a lot of time focusing on. Um, I want to get into just investing in uh, general. I mean, you have your venture fund. Uh, so I want to talk about some of the ways that you process deals and how you do investments and how you think about operations for those things. Um, and then I want to get into, you know, your brother and as well, you uh, kind of known for this real estate. We'll talk a little bit about real estate and then Bitcoin, of course, and maybe some of the correlations between those and uh, different ways to invest into that. And then maybe tie it all together with how we look at energy and investing in real estate. And then it brings it all into Bitcoin. Um, so we'll, we'll see if that's uh, not too ambitious. So we'll see what we can get through on that. Um, but I see uh, going back to sort of, like I said, your resume, I see you work for um, a company, Dying Energy, um, where you kind of started out working there. And specifically, it says that you were working in the European business market. Um, 
And so, you know, I know, and, and, and I think even in like the natural gas markets and you sort of exited that company, I know you've, it's probably been a long time. Uh, one, I'm just curious. I mean, is this something that you still pay attention to? I mean, it's energy, right? I mean, you still kind of watching what's going on in the European natural gas markets or energy markets in, in general? Yes. Yeah, I do. I do pay attention to it. Not at the micro level. I mean, I'm not trading energy. I've known a lot of uh, men who have left their wives, widows, uh, by trading that gas and electricity. They are brutal and crude oil. I know two guys on the planet that have made long term money trading crude oil. These are really, really distinct commodities. And they have a lot of geopolitical and local issues that are created you can't hedge against. Uh, but yes, I do watch it. Uh, I appreciate your point on, hey, there were two pipelines blown up. That was an act of freaking war and terror, uh, in my opinion, and uh, has really yeah. changed the supply chain um, logistics. And I think probably put the United States in a position where they're selling a tremendous amount of LNG to Europe uh, within weeks after those pipelines blew up, you know. Um, so there's a whole yeah. play going on here. I think, I think you're going to see Europe turn into a totally green, 100% green nuclear industry, and they'll just float, you know, $3 trillion worth of bonds, 50 to 100-year bonds, and, and turn Europe into a nuclear uh, power uh, community, which really put long-term, uh, it's going to have a lot of long-term impacts on global energy uh, if that happens. So. There's a lot going on. It's worthy to watch for sure. Yeah. And I think it matters because, I mean, energy sits at the bottom of every market and economy. And so, like, I think, you know, I want to get into, like I said, just general investing, um, venture investing, you know, real estate, and then, of course, Bitcoin. Uh, but when I think about Bitcoin, I think about, like, you know, uh, we have this uh, nascent technology that's growing and there's massive growth potential there. But then sort of we have this like macro picture that hangs over everything. And like if the entire world crashed, I mean, it's going to just drag everything with it. So I think it's like kind of important to sort of understand these different disciplines. And so, you know, again, being with energy sort of underpinning this, um, if it could potentially cause massive disruption to the global markets. I mean, this is something that we should be paying attention to. I think about, um, to your point, you know, the pipeline that got um, sabotaged. I think general consensus even out of the United States now is it was probably Ukraine in behalf of the United States doing that. Um, seems like even the New York Times is, is saying that now. Uh, but sort of going back to that, it looks like like last year, um, Europe sort of got saved by this like abnormal warm year. And now this year already, it seems like it's gotten much, much colder. They're burning through their stockpiles much faster than they were before. And so uh, the United States is, to your point, right, jumping in to fill that gap. But what happens if, you know, because the United States energy is super cheap compared to the world, natural gas specifically, right? Uh, very cheap compared to the world. If they're able to export um, a good amount of energy to the rest of the world, Europe specifically, where it's much more expensive, which, of course, the European, I'm sorry, the U.S. energy producers would want, wouldn't that wreck energy prices for us in the United States? Or not really? You mean by driving? You mean by driving them up because too much new demand? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if we you know if we can sell it for two, three dollars an MCF in the U.S., but it's twenty five over in Europe. I mean, how does that equalize the market? Well, you got you got it. There, there's a huge locational differential. Uh, you got to you know there's big capital costs to put it on a big tanker. Uh, you're th roughly two eighty to three dollars here. Uh, 
look, they're short in Europe. Europe produces nothing. They don't produce their own food on scale. They don't produce their own energy. Each country doesn't even have its own bank. It's literally uh, being controlled by three or four people that you and I don't know. No one voted these people in office. They're just part of the Euro construct. And NATO sitting there. NATO is holding the Euro together and the European Union. And uh, I, th I, th I just think it's all falling apart. Um, so, you know, Russia has been selling energy to, to Germans far deeper, cheaper than we're going to ever sell it to them. They, they have been the discounted decatherm, the discounted kilowatt, um, and they are now going to find other places to sell that energy. So I actually think this is going to turn around where you're going to see energy prices fall because of what has been done. The collateral consequences of what many of these politicians, professional politicians, these decisions like have a lot of really um, long-lasting collateral impacts like dominoes falling. And, and uh, there is so much energy on the planet, Mark, at, at $100 crude oil or $4 nat gas. Uh, it doesn't really, I, I think we uh, can continue to find energy at or around these prices. And the truth is, if we export them to Europe, they're going to have to pay whatever they have to pay uh, to, to get it there. Because if we keep all of these, uh, you know, okay, that guy, you can't buy from that guy. I mean, th this does not work in any market in the world where you can tell people who they can and cannot buy from. It's only benefiting yeah. other countries like India, which, which may be a good thing, mm -hmm. okay? But India is really benefiting uh, fr from this. No crude oil stopped. Just because it's got a Russian flag on the crude oil barrel, it's still being sold yeah. and it's still moving around this planet. And that's what fungible products do. That is exactly what Bitcoin will do uh, without all the transportation and the heaviness and the big ships being exposed. If you get crude oil, you really get Bitcoin so quickly. It's unbelievable. Hmm. Why is that? What do, you, what do you mean by that? How, how is, uh, how is uh, I, I have some comparisons to oil and, and Bitcoin, but I'm curious what your comparisons are. How, how do you get oil, you get Bitcoin? Well, well let, let, let's say that you're a Russian oligarch and you own a billion acres of fossil rich, fossil fuel rich geology. Why would you pay a transportation company 3,000 miles to move a decatherm of energy when you could place a data center instead of building pipelines, they get blown up. You place a data center right next to your natural gas facility, which is producing natural gas at about a dollar or 20 cents. But by the time it gets to Germany, it's like been upgraded to $3 because of transport costs. Just like you or, not, you or I getting on a train. Okay, we have a delay to get to where we're going and we have to pay. We're not, you and I are not having to get on a train now. So we've arbitraged the train experience. I think Putin, if, if, if I was running his energy division, I'm, I can assure you they're all younger than me and you. Uh, these guys are going to look at, like, I can convert natural gas to a USB and then move that energy anywhere? Anywhere? One, I mean, 
if there was too little energy on the planet, they don't have to mine Bitcoin. They can just produce those decatherms into the marketplace and the marketplace will pay you. However, what if in the case of an oversupplied situation, which I maintain we are always oversupplied. Last 30 years, we have been oversupplied with energy and it always shows up because at $100, if you notice $100, it can't get past $100 and stay there. Uh, all the fracking that we discovered did not occur. That innovation did not occur at $100. It occurred at 10 to 30 because the scientists, the geologists, the drillers figured out, shit, we, we want to keep drilling. We got to figure out how to do it at 30, not at 70. And that's where innovation showed up. So I think you're going to see arbitrage, a natural thing for people to do, a Putin would do, would be to arbitrage uh, the, avail the availability, the ability to produce or refine natural gas into another product called Bitcoin. It's no different right. than making a, 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 a liquid gasoline, right? A distillate. Bitcoin will have its own market share. So why you wouldn't want to go for the highest margin yielding refined product i think that's what markets well that, do. that's the and point right there right it's like the highest yielding product right that's totally. the point so it's like if i can get three three or four bucks in mcf selling the m the gas but i could get ten dollars mcf putting it into bitcoin i'm going to put it into bitcoin and so then you see you know potentially russia taking a large amount of natural gas off right plus like you said transportation costs political risks all those types of things um, so then it's like, well, it's a higher economic uh, return if I just put it into Bitcoin. I can put it on a USB drive, as you said, send it into the world uh, over the Internet. At some point, maybe um, this is what a market <laughs> this is what a market does. But at some point, maybe then uh, because all that natural gas comes off the market, it pushes the price of, of gas up. And then maybe it starts to be a better return to go back to gas at some point. But I guess that's sort of how the market would would play out. It'd be interesting to see. But I guess to your point, there's so much uh, abundance in that natural gas that. Uh, maybe they'll just want to continue putting put it into that, into the Bitcoin. Well, we, look, we, we just took a, a 1.7 million barrels of crude oil off the market after the pipelines blew up. Now, crude oil has nothing to do with those pipelines, but China's demand must be off the, the just have fallen off the cliff for one Saudi company to, I think it was Aramco, to remove a million. And then Putin said, we're going to take 700 off. And now OPEC collectively is talking about another million. Well, if you're taking all this supply off the market, where's the demand? Because the price is not going up. Furthermore, 20% of all fossil fuel, man, it's leaked all over the place. This is one of the most inefficient industries. It's 100-year-old pipes, okay? So there's leaking, there's inconsistencies, there's swaps that you lose. It's just a lot of friction. Uh, by, by no means is the energy market efficient. And like if I can, let, let's say crude oil is at $50 and, and that gas is at $2. If I sell into a $2 market, I have to print that cash, that, that income. But what if I can store that same amount of money, a billion dollars of natural gas that I was going to sell in March? I actually go, hey, I'm going to roll it till September. How do I roll it? I don't have to go to storage companies and roll it. I can roll it into Bitcoin, right? And then I move my time and I have very little cost. I only have the cost of the cost of capital to hold that in a vault that is not subject to being blown up. Uh, it's not subject to 
restraints or constraints by any U.S. government or any government for that matter for a piece of my energy. We're not talking about all the energy. We're talking about just a little marginal piece, maybe 3%, 5%, 10%. I maintain that the biggest, most successful miners in the world will be fossil fuel producers, sovereigns, and super major oil companies. They will be the most effective miners going forward, uh, probably end up buying Marathon and Riot if they have to. Um, and that's where, the, the, that's where Bitcoin will be produced from, from those energy producers. Nuclear, nuclear power stations, full-on nuclear power stations will start selling 80% load factor for the first time in their lives, they can actually be, be a storage facility and, and not have to sell base load. That's nuclear's biggest problem. They have to sell base load. There's no modulating like you would a gas plant, turning it on, turning it off, turn, you know, lowering the volume. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about it, um, to, to your point, right, we have this abundant energy. Uh, the whole world operated on this theory called peak energy until about 2008, where we thought we were going to run out of energy. And then that was disproven, to your point, with fracking, things like that. And of course, human ingenuity always finds a way uh, somehow. Uh, but, you know, in regards to sort of where we're at in the world, something I've been talking a lot about, which I, you know, I got it from sort of Zoltan Pozar uh, talking about, but really sort of the shift from, you know, the world had been on commodity money for 5,000 years. In 1971, we got off of the gold standard. We've been in this 51-year, 52-year experiment of this paper money. And the world's rejected that. That paper money experiment is, is over. It's falling apart. And we're seeing this where these nations are now, um, China bought half the lithium mines in the world. They don't want U.S. treasuries. They'd rather have lithium in the ground, right? And we see OPEC and Russia saying, hey, we'll just hold oil in the ground. Why would I pump more oil out of the ground at this price I don't want to sit in U.S. treasuries that's losing money? I'd rather just keep the oil in the ground. Uh, but now I kind of, the, 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 you know, the, the picture you're painting, I guess, so to speak, is that, well, now they could continue pumping the oil or natural gas or whatever that energy out of the ground but now get it for the $100 a barrel, even though that's not where the market is, because they can put it into Bitcoin. So rather than say, I'll just keep the oil in the ground, they could get more oil out of the ground, but now store it in something other than U.S. Treasuries. And so that's, that's a pretty big shift, I think, that we could see happen. Yeah, it's big. Uh, and, and I think if you, you do the research, you'll find that the net present value uh, calculation of keeping energy in the ground it's a 20-year decision. Every decatherm you keep in the ground, you're literally rolling out 18 to 20 years. It's a bad trade, man. Um, and because you have so many different producers, you have a quasi-cartel that doesn't function anymore. It's literally not functioning as a cartel. My example just a little while ago, one country said a million barrels coming off. Oh, gosh, they now have a public entity called Aramco. Isn't that amazing? And then Putin decides to pull off 700,000 barrels, right? Um, the price didn't go up. Like, it might have gone up for a day or two, but it's right back down to where it was, 71 bucks. Uh, they're making $10 a barrel in Europe, and they're making 15 to $20 barrels here. Uh, there's not been a dry well drilled in five years, dude. I have not heard of a dry well. Have you even heard the word dry hole? Like, there aren't any dry holes anymore. This is pure science. They know exactly what they're going to tap into, where they're going to tap into, and they can accelerate, which is amazing. See, that's what Bitcoin can't do. Bitcoin, you cannot accelerate the production of Bitcoin. You can put 
water, just push water and pressure down a hole and accelerate the volume of crude oil anytime you want or natural gas. Uh, if the price peaks, I don't think you're going to see peak prices. I, peak oil, like that very cold day in Germany, you're never going to have enough energy. But on an average day, I think we have energy for a long, long time. And if the greenies were smart, they'd let crude oil go to 300 bucks. But they keep talking about suppressing prices, taxes, everything's too high. They're so dumb. They should let crude oil. Yeah. I was with Vivek. I said, dude, let's go to $300 crude oil, $12 gasoline, and we'll stop war tomorrow morning. There will be no reason to have war at $300 crude oil. And then Why would all it stop the green energy because what are you fighting over? Everybody's making money, man. America would, like, the oil companies make so much money. Consumers would control their consumption better, okay? I maintain energy in the United States and Western Europe is way too cheap, especially here. And I think I can prove it to your audience. If 99% of the people didn't turn on their laptop computer off uh, last night, I'm pretty sure electricity is not priced correctly. I don't leave my refrigerator wide open at night, right? I don't leave my car running all evening. I turn it off. So when electricity is priced correctly, I'm going to start turning things off. We lit, we're addicted to convenience. Um, well, that might be easy for you to say. I'm guessing there's a lot of people making a medium wage in the U.S. that would probably beg to differ, that can barely afford their gas uh, to, get to, to get to work and back. And $12 gasoline would just absolutely crush them. They pay ten dollars in Europe right now. Okay, what they do is they don't they don't walk to the, they don't drive to the grocery store for a loaf of bread. To, uh, that, all I'm saying is that we we are very abusive of what we have in energy because we don't turn it off. That tells me it's not priced correctly, right? It's priced mm. in a way that allows us to be lazy. Just give you, I, I mean, we could probably do an hour on this because it's a really interesting conversation. If you removed all of the TVs at source pull the plug out from the UK. There's 72 million homes in the United Kingdom. That's 400 megawatt coal-fired power station coming off the grid if you were to do that. Remove the power card from the TV outlet. Okay, That standing energy consumes an entire power station, coal-fired power station. Imagine that all over the world, especially on the West, because like, I've got eight TVs here, dude. They're all plugged in. They're all sucking energy, and I never turn them off. So well, they've I think uh, you mean unplug them. Huge. They're turned off. They're just they're they're, they're turned no, off. No, they're, they're just plugged they're, in. You're they're saying sucking energy though to be stand. They're stand so that I can hit a button and they instantly go on without any warm up. They it is sucking energy from the universe. So all I'm saying is, if it was priced correctly. There'd probably be a company that created out there that would sell a card that would like disconnect. This is not complex. Somebody could have done this a long time ago. There's just no juice in it, for lack of a pun. Right? Well, that's because There's what you said earlier, which is we have no shortage of energy. And so back to the market, um, the market is always going to price it correctly, if you will. Obviously, government uh, regulations and so forth sort of gum that up a little bit. But um, we have so much abundant energy. That's, that's why it is cheap. Yeah, it's, it's cheap here. Right. And it's abundant here. Um, and, and 
but government regulations want to change that. So you, you you talk about Europe, energy is expensive in Europe, but yeah, because Germany shut off their freaking energy, man. And like I'm in California, in California, we talk about natural gas being cheap, and natural gas has gotten cheaper. It's the most abundant energy source we have in the United States. In in California, natural gas, my natural gas bill went up four hundred percent. Like. What yeah. the heck? How did my natural gas bill go up four hundred percent when natural gas came down? It's 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 pretty insane. So that's the government regulation, the artificial scarcity that's put into place, and that I'm sure you're aware. I mean, adversely affects the lower income people. I mean, that's a massive chunk to their uh, profitability. And restaurants. My friend that owns a restaurant, he can barely keep his doors open anymore. His energy bills went from you know four hundred a month to over three thousand dollars a month. They put in California, they put a, and this is, this is a different topic, but they put a 30% tax on pork because of emissions, right? And that goes into government regulations, but energy, uh, you know, they, they put these costs on energy and like he can't pass those energy price increases into his consumers on the price of food. So he's getting squeezed at the margins. He can barely, barely stay open. Um, so I don't know. I, I think, I think the market's efficient, um, to, I think to the point that you're making, though, I agree. Uh, typically, we would say that high prices are the cure for high prices. Uh, so if if energy prices got high enough, then people will figure out a card for their TV disconnected or whatever. Like we'll figure out a way to use less of it at some point. Yes, yes, and and you know, not to be disagreeable, but I think markets are rarely, rarely, rarely ever efficient. They're they're no, usually let's be disagreeable. It's more fun that way. <laughs> they're they're never price right. Okay, that like this idea that Wall Street is some fucking god. Okay, look, we we don't do good at predicting prices and making allocations of data because the data is skewed. Like, there's no actual real data. I don't know what CPI really is. It doesn't feel like what it came out to at three point one percent today. It feels different to me than that because I look at a price of a dozen eggs and it's like wow. Now, your crazy country is doing exactly what Europe did, which is, hey, we don't want to be energy intensive. We don't want to have drilling rigs. We don't want to have refineries around like they do in Louisiana and Texas. California doesn't want any of that ugly stuff. It's all nail polish and lip gloss. Uh, let's not have any power stations here, dude. You guys are going to wake up one day and you're going to pay $40,000 for power. Because the guys in Vegas, they're going to take it from you because it's moving right through Vegas. And then the guys from Arizona, those utilities are going to take it because it's moving through there. You're at yeah. the very end of the food chain and you refuse to do anything in down the ground or above the ground in terms of making the state look like a state that actually runs on its own energy sources. I like one day, California is going to wake up, dude. The water's not going to be flowing, and you're going to have to pay $40,000. That's an inevitability. Yeah, for sure. I mean, already we have, uh, uh, you know, I think we're like 10 times higher than, and well, not 10 times, about five times higher. I mean, in we have a tiered energy system, and so in the summer, we're paying, you know, 45 cents a kilowatt hour. Like, 45 cents yeah. at the top tier, right? In, in Texas, it's like eight, right? Um, some states it's even less than that. So, um, yeah, we're paying, we're paying for it for sure. Um, 
let's 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 keep it going. I want to get into more about um, investing, and then we'll kind of tie all this back together. But uh, you your company now, so you've sort of exited the energy markets. Um, you had another company. You're in like a capital allocation business, private equity, um, and now you have your own firm, Card One Ventures. Um, a play on your name, as you told me, instead of Cardone, the one, the own is the one. I like that. It's a good, good play on that. But, but Card One Ventures. And so let's talk about that for a minute. Like, I'm curious, you know, having exited businesses before, having successful exits, uh, working for private equity, obviously you've been, you know, allocating capital for some time. Um, with Card One Ventures, how are you looking at um, allocating capital Um any specific markets? I know obviously you're very interested in Bitcoin and technology, but is that your main focus? Are there other focuses? And then how do you go about finding um, companies and deals that you like in those spaces? Well, um, Card One Ventures is really about, um, and Cardone Digital Ventures um, is about investing in the future. So I've been in energy payments. You made the comment about the European business. I spent 14 years there building two really big businesses in the, in the energy space. So I got a lot of uh, understanding of lobbying and change and how the governments work with these new ideas. Uh, look, I, I am a really concentrated human being. I don't, I'm not a good multitasker at all. So I tend to go into one area I, I think this digital space is so large i've committed the rest of my life into this space i i don't have time to be an energy guy and a payments guy and then a, a digital crypto bitcoin guy this opportunity is so large i basically have sold everything i possibly could that required operational uh involvement uh i had bought a lot of bitcoin over since 2018, started really turning on a lot of volume about two and a half years ago and ran into Node 40. Uh, and I had this whole venture idea, if I could find some technologists that were humble enough to realize just because you have a great idea does not mean that you are a great general or a great strategist. I've met a lot of Palo Alto people, and one thing, you know, they know how to do free really well. But I don't believe in free. I, I think actually free is bad. It creates bad incentives. I like knowing what I'm paying, okay? So if I walk into a Range Rover dealer and he's like, hey, this is a $200,000 car, I'm keeping my car, man. <laughs> I'll wait till these prices come down. It's not right value for me. Um, so I think it, this, this industry could consume probably six businesses like analytics, reporting, analysis, big data, tracking, accounting, audits. It has nothing to do with Bitcoin, except it has everything to do with digital assets. And I think we're, we are moving down this slippery slope of digital. We went from, uh, you know, the big vinyl reel listening to the Beatles to now I've got a telephone that's got 40,000 freaking pieces of music and I'm paying for subscriptions, man. Okay. I'm paying for subscriptions. Talk about how deadly technology can be. I'm buying music from Spotify on an Apple iPhone. Apple's music thing is embedded in that technology. I paid $1,200 for the bloody phone in, in Apple pretty much destroyed the music industry. 
in stage one, right? Put it on a little, little thing. And I'm not listening yeah. to their music. So it's amazing to me, right? So I look at businesses that are needed and wanted uh, that will currently are required in the legacy world. All of those industries will be required in the digital world. So like services, look at like service-based companies. Oh, totally, dude. Reporting. I don't, uh, there's 43,000 tax and accounting companies in the United States alone. Four and a half million people accounting for legacy assets. Now, this is already a $1.3 trillion industry. I think it's going to a 20 or $30 trillion industry. None of those old companies know how to do this on digital. This is not like tracking a title on a, on a, on a, uh, on a home or the purchase price of a home. Um, so there's tons of these businesses. You know, there's the mining business. So I want to be in a place where I have a choice to buy Bitcoin or hey, let me take, let me go invest money in a business that has some operational risk, has some human error risk, but it feeds the industry. It actually helps the industry expand. I am not one of these guys that have any intention on buying Bitcoin, holding it forever and ever and ever and never selling it. I actually want to sell it so that I can reinvest in the industry at some point so that the industry expands. Right. And, and to me, like these industries need investment and we can leave it to JP Morgan to do all the investing. I would actually like Bitcoin to perform like you and I think it's going to do so that I can roll my investment in the space. I become more wealthy and you become more wealthy and then we can protect we can invest in this industry and not have a bunch of outsiders with really tons of capital and and insight and they come in and take the whole market so when you have an opportunity like this i start shifting everything i used to do and focus on this area it's proven to be really really one very fun and very uh, rewarding uh i don't I, I never get the glittery object syndrome where i'm looking over here right i'm actually looking at you okay there's enough people for me to learn to know i need to know more about mining how the economics, economics of that work. I'm more concerned about the economics than I am the politics. Yeah, um, I, I love that. It's sort of like the Warren Buffett investing principle of, of uh, instead of diversification or diversification, it's really about concentration, right? And so Warren Buffett ca calls it like his deal box, right? He only invests into the core things that he knows, understands, and he, and he believes in concentration. And if you look at most of the big investors, well, the ones that we know about, the successful ones, uh, they've all got that way through concentration. And so that makes sense that you want to just sort of focus on where you see um, not only probably the biggest opportunity, the most alpha, if you will, but probably also where your interest lies as well, right? So like, there's probably lots of other areas you can go make money, but not only do you see there's a big money making opportunity, uh, but also probably very interesting for you. So that you're sort of chasing your, um, I hate to use the word passion, but something that gives you um, excitement, right? I mean, you, you love it. Um, and, and it has massive legs, you know, I think, um, back to mm. sort of this like oil analogy, right? If you look at like oil as the commodity and you can think about, you know, the millions or tens of millions of technologies that are built around the oil industry, 
from sonar for ships to, you know, petroleum transfer, um, pressurizers to, um, you know, measurement technique. I mean, there's, there's, there's a billion, you know what I mean? Like, uh, the new, the new head on the, on the, on the drill rig or whatever it may yep. be. And so then we have sort of Bitcoin being this uh, commodity asset as well. And then potentially billions of technologies that we've built around the Bitcoin industry as well to kind of facilitate that, that, that sort of commodity, if you will. You know, I don't know if if Bitcoin. I mean, obviously, it doesn't have a, a million use cases like oil. Like oil goes into sneakers and cleaners and things like that. But the industry itself, I think, could be built out very similar to your point. You know, not only just in the mining space, there's un, unlimited amount of uh, potential there. Um, but you know, to your point, services, software, tracking, uh, payment facil facilities, things like that. Um, you do have this uh, like payments background as well. Um, Node 40 is more about like uh, reporting and things like that, like tracking, reporting. Uh, I'm curious what you think about it from a payment standpoint. Um, I know when we had met uh, or talked before at the Bitcoin conference, whenever that was this summer, this last summer, um, you were kind of talking about the amount of chargebacks that payment companies deal with and how costly that is for them. Of course, Bitcoin is final settlement. So I'm just curious what your take is um, about using Bitcoin in the payment space, where that potential is, and if that's something also that you're focusing on? Uh, well, there's a lot in that question. Um, I, I think that if you look at the plumbing, I see I look at the payments industry as a 50 to 60 year old plumbing industry and the plumbing is falling apart, okay? What does plumbing look like? There's only three or four major banks Okay, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, who the rest of most of these people, Visa and MasterCard are not a bank. They are a vendor, vendor, and vendor. They literally take zero risk. There is no risk. You cannot go into their P&L and say, see where they took any losses whatsoever. They're like a toll between Germany and Switzerland, and the price is always, hey, we make a 51% net operating margin when you take your car across, boom, 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 boom. It doesn't matter. You stop your car, we're still making 51%. If the car blows up, we make 51%. If the car doesn't make it, we make 51%. And if you decline to get through the border, hey, we make 51%. I mean, everything they do <laughs> makes 51%. The other right. thing is the cost of the chargebacks, 656 million chargebacks. That's a visa number. They actually make money from these. This is not a cost center. This is a, you said it, and, I, and most people say that. Hey, look, there. It's costing, no, it's costing Joe, consumer, me and you, 656 million events a year times $108.36 plus the 62,000 amateurs that are employed, 62,000 people are employed at Barclays and various banks issuing and acquiring banks, filing chargebacks like a ping pong game between each other. In a monsterly, monsterly non-centralized non manner with exquisite bias. Every player has bias there, okay? Barclays issuing, that's the consumer side of the bank, is trying to reduce the phone calls inbound because it's a $27 event. So what do they do? They create an app. And they say, hey, go on the Citibank app and just dispute this. The retailers got 8% refunds now. Can you imagine, dude? going to, to 100 podcasts, and they're all one hour, and 8% of them fail. 
Can, can you imagine that, right? The friction. So Joe Consumer's paying for it. How? Because the retailer gets screwed and they take their rates and they take them up further and further and further. So now Bitcoin comes along, right? And, and I think right. that the Bitcoin decentralized marketing department, which I was laughing about earlier, took me two years to figure out, oh, wow, they're so bad on marketing because they have no centralized marketing department, um, which is a problem. Right, because you're competing with people that invest tens of millions of dollars at every rugby match. Visa, Mastercard, Visa, Mastercard. This is why it's so hard to get legacy players to unwind their position because they have been robotized, man. Okay, like they think, like you notice this thing Visa says, we do thirty thousand transactions a second. Yeah, bro, but you don't settle any of them. Okay, yeah, let's exactly. talk about settled transactions. But Joe Consumer doesn't understand that. See, Joe Consumer here. Speed, why does Joe Consumer even care? He he doesn't. Why do we tell him? Yeah, we're the ones bringing this shit up. Okay, like settlements, the deal. If you're a retailer, you care about settlement. Do I have my money? Yes, I have my money. Thank you very much. No refunds. Um. So I I think this is what I think is going to happen, Mark. I think you're going to find that the very richest part of the value chain and payments, gaming, gambling, digital anything, OnlyFans or whatever that's called, the women do, probably the guys will do it some, soon, one day, adult pornography, all of those are monster, monster, rich, fat margins that Visa and MasterCard make, that all moves digital. The moment we're ready for prime time to be able to take 40,000 transactions every 30 minutes on adult or gaming or gambling. This game over for the credit card industry because they're going to be left with the, the in-store shit that the whole system was built for. It was built for in-store. You and I looking at each other, sharing my credit card with you, and then signing it on a wet piece of paper. That's how that industry was built. Think about it as a speedway. The problem is you now have a car that does 700 miles an hour. Right. Okay, the fastest, most liquid car on the planet, and it does it with electricity, and it's really fast, and the, the course can no longer handle it. Like, like the course that the plumbing was built on, it's just too old. Um, yeah. So let's, so let's, we let's, should be let's talk about that for a minute. So, so you said like Bitcoin or whatever, Visa does, whatever, 30,000 transactions per second, like whatever that number is, it, it doesn't really matter. First of all, for me, let's just think about it, right? So with technology, it needs to be 100 times, it needs to be 1,000 times better, right? Um, we don't really like improvement offers. But if I go to a merchant and I want to run my Visa or my credit card, whatever, it probably takes, I haven't really timed it, I don't know, 30 or 45 seconds for me to sit there and wait for that to go through, right? Roughly 30, 45 seconds-ish, something like that. Um, before they, you know, print it and get me the receipt and have to sign it, whatever. But the merchant now not only has to pay the fees, whatever, two, 3%, 4%, um, depending on their risk, plus their statement fees, et cetera, et cetera. And then they don't get the money for maybe 72 hours, roughly, right? Um, so what we've done, technology has sped up our transaction times. We now have instant transactions, but we still don't have instant settlement. So the transaction, the discrepancy between transaction and settlement has grown massively wide. So um, as a merchant, uh, one, my, my customer experience is slow. There's friction. Two, um, I have to pay exorbitant fees. And three, I don't get my money for long periods of time. And time is money. So the faster I can get my money, the better. Now, 
if I wanted to accept the transaction over Lightning, which I've done many of these Lightning transactions, like in El Salvador, or just even at, at conferences and events and things like that, like literally like before I pull my finger off the button, like the transaction's already there. It's not 30 seconds or 45 seconds, it's two seconds. And um, on top of that, then the merchant receives final settlement, not just settlement, but final settlement immediately um, and with no fees. So it seems like it's 100x or 1,000 times improvement to me. Um, it seems like we've been hearing about for years, like, oh, my gosh, okay, it's coming. You know, NCR, Strike told us two years ago, NCR, the you know, one in six um, payment processors, one, one in six merchants use them as payment processors. They're going to integrate this in there. Um, and it, it, it is a good idea whose time has come. It is 100x or 1,000 times better. Um, I mean, one, I guess, do you see it being that much better? And two, if so, then what do you think is the big roadblock holding it back? And three, where do you think, uh, what sort of like what kind of time frame or what is it going to take to see kind of more adoption there? I think the best way to, to approach it is to look at history. It took Visa MasterCard 52 years to get seven credit cards in everybody's pocket. Hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds of millions of dollars of advertising at every major sports event. Uh, American Express has its own program for more wealthy people. Look, adoption's hard, man. Okay, like scaling adoption, global adoption. Visa MasterCard have been massively ineffective in China. Massively, okay? The only place chargebacks take place is in the Visa MasterCard system. So this does not happen in the East, okay? I mean, I had a half a billion dollar, built half a billion dollar business on a problem that only exists under the MasterCard and Visa. I think the adoption is going to be a lot slower than we think because I think people misunderstand how adoption occurs. And, and I'm quite certain that the decentralized state of Bitcoin's marketing department hasn't helped because you have a bunch of people walking around talking and I think people think that people that, that are talking about Bitcoin represent Bitcoin. But there's been a lot of misinformation out there. And we've hit, m we've missed every target we've set out there. Like, like you said, like Jack said, hey, we're going to be in payments. Uh, you might be, dude, but like not tomorrow morning. Okay. So I, I think where this happens is that when retailers get smart and they start offering discounts to uh the analog world like hey i'll, I'll take the you, my, it's a hundred dollars for this transaction or it's 95 if you use digital um and the lightning piece like you know better than me mark when is it going to be ready for prime time um because 50 million merchants are on planet earth and i think they're declining that is a lot of coverage. You ha in order to get real adoption, you have to make all those merchants capable of being able to receive uh, this new money, currency, digit, allocation, audit, ledger, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I don't think it needs to settle tomorrow, like instantly, okay, when the settlement process for Visa MasterCard is six months. So you go wipe a transaction on Sony or, or, or Apple tomorrow morning, you literally have six months to say, hey. Because that that's the chargeback period, six, six months to charge it back on your credit card. With, with absolutely no proof. You can literally say, not mine, 
six months later, and you might not win that. You might not get it reversed, but you're going to cause a pain in the ass for the merchant and for everybody in the food chain. Like when you do that, it sends a ripple through the whole food chain. That's not going to occur in digital. And that's extremely valuable and efficient if we can stop the abuse that's going on, uh, whether it's mean, you know, meant to be abuse or whether it's just an error. It's nonetheless a lot of friction. And, and what is the, you, you told me the number before, um, like the, the financial impact of those chargebacks in the industry. I mean, it's, it's in the billions, tens of billions. Oh, I, I think we're talking about over a trillion dollars of losses a year, dude. Trillion. A trillion. Wow. Big numbers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, well, one, one thing that's really interesting is just try to go on Visa and MasterCard's public documents on their quarterly reports and find out how much they make just from fees, fines, and chargebacks. It's staggering to me that I have a half a billion dollar business in the chargeback business. Yet you can't, now I'm private. We were private at the time, still are. Uh, can't see any of that data on Visa MasterCard. Hmm, that's interesting. I think they're making a billion dollars in net income every year for sure, both of them, from fraud, calling things fraud. They're not fraud. And if they are fraud, how the hell can you have nearly 700 million fraudulent events in the United States and European business, 700, that is what? 700 million, that's about 2,000 a day, I think, maybe 20,000 a day. How can you have that much fraud? And Visa MasterCard traded a premium that is 5X Google's. Excuse me, 5X ExxonMobil's and two and a half, two and a half times the valuation of Google. It seems odd to me, okay? A duopoly, yeah. they have 72% of the entire plastic market. And I think you're talking about 656 million unit uh, events. You're talking about $106 price. You're talking about another $300. Every time a merchant gets a $100 chargeback, it has cost him $350. Okay, how does he ever come out of that? And refunds are going up. So the yeah. system's broken. Okay, Visa's big pitch was... Re increase refunds, make refunds easy peasy. Guess what refunds did? Refunds went from one and a half to two percent to eight, and chargebacks chargebacks went straight up. Did absolutely nothing. You yeah. have to educate the consumer. You have to educate the consumer. And, and the trick, back to your question, the trick for Visa Mastercard, which stops most foreign payment companies coming in the United States. They used the chargeback mechanism in 1972 to create adoption. That was the only way they could get you and your wife into the store and go, hey, let's move off of cash and checks. We want you to hold this little plastic. That was what adoption, that's what they used adoption for. You have seven cards in your pocket now, real or virtual. Dude, adoption's curd. Take the chargeback mechanism away and make the consumer responsible for what he does when he clicks a button. Okay, you, yeah. we, you and I do a deal online. It's a legally binding contract, right? Yeah. Like, didn't we sign a legally binding contract? I did it electronically. I said, yes, I read the terms and conditions, supposedly. And then we have another third party decide, yeah, that legal contract's no longer valid. Like, that's yeah. crazy, right? 
An, an early business I started was I was doing e-commerce. I was selling motocross stuff online and um, in the automotive space and specifically on like hard parts on on, on hard parts in the, in the motorcycle space. The markups are, are very poor. You have like a 30% markup, you know, if you're lucky. And we would get chargebacks all the time where we would ship something uh, to the address that it was. And, and they would say, oh, uh, well, my husband used my card and that wasn't my car or my kid used my card. I didn't authorize that. And they would charge it back. We didn't even get the product back. And the card company would automatically honor their chargeback. Now, we only had a 30 percent margin on that part. So I sell a hundred dollar part cost me 70. <laughs> right. Um, I was hoping to make 30. I lost 70. Now I got to sell f- four more parts just to get back to profit off of that one loss. I mean, it was catastrophic for us. It was, and that was, that was early on before, uh, today I've seen some numbers specifically that gets bigger and bigger and bigger, but now, um, the amount of returns that are going back to these stores is starting to break them. You know, they have to repackage or they can't resell at at full price or whatever, but that was a long time ago. And it was, it, it broke us because again, our margins were so small. And so, you know, I can certainly see from a merchant side, how, how bad that is. Uh, I, I should say maybe from a vendor side, from a, from a merchant side, I mean, if I could, um, obviously, yeah, reduce my chargebacks, get my money faster. Seems like a, seems like a benefit to me, I guess, to the point you're making is consumers jumped on the credit card bandwagon because of the protection they got from the chargebacks, but it works against the merchant. So now the adoption is probably going to have to come from the merchant side. The merchant's now going to say, hey, look, uh, we want you to use this. And maybe there has to be some sort of incentive, I guess, to your point, some sort of a discount. Hey, you don't get to charge it back, but this is what I require. Sort of like, hey, you got to pay me cash kind of a thing. And, and then, and there, and then well, and that's, just, that's you know, the way, everyone that's the way real markets work. The yeah. real markets work where, you know, in the oil business, in the energy business, I mean, we have ISDA agreements, man. You want to trade crude oil, we have one agreement. Okay, like Bitcoin's going to do a lot of things that no one's even talking about. Why do we have 50 million merchants on the planet? This is a visa number. And we pretty much have about 49 million different terms and conditions on all these websites. Why can't we have just one standard T and C terms and conditions? The FTC goes out of its way to talk about clear and concise. And then they do nothing on clear and concise when it comes to terms and conditions. This is how much time you have to refund. This is what a chargeback is defined as. Visa could literally spend, I've pitched them this. Hey, we raise a billion dollars, okay, by charging 0.00001 on every transaction for one year. Retailers pay for it. And we then do, Visa MasterCard do a monster education program and explain to people these are not refunds. These are harming retailers. Okay, if he gets 100 chargeback, he's going to probably be put out of business or his fees and fines to Visa and MasterCard are going to go up so much. And this is what they do. Hey, we'll come in and consult for you and get you out of the program for $100,000. Or you can buy our chargeback system and buy all these tools and it's $100,000. And there's no guarantees that any of this happens. So like we're just dealing with a duopoly. Okay, that's the problem. Adoption has occurred. I went to Visa, both Visa MasterCard and said, why do I pay the same amount for some batteries that my secretary pays for? I should pay less. And they were like, oh, horrendous. You're suggesting that your credit, you should be able to buy retail products cheaper than other people because your credit's better and your performance as a refunder or chargeback vendor is better. I'm like, absolutely. 
Absolutely. They said that will never fly. We will, people will be riding in the streets if we give you a discount versus your assistant. Okay. Then Bitcoin will do it. And, and, and that is the answer. Okay. Like the merchants, we need to do a better job with the merchants to show them what the real cost is of using plastic. It is at least 10% of the total retail value. And you have no guarantee that your merchant processor is even going to support you. Okay, if they don't like what you're selling tomorrow morning, they can literally just turn you off. So we need to do a better job. And I think this is going to come because I'm happy to buy stuff from you. I don't refund. I'd love the discount, dude. Pay me. Let me have a discount from being a superior consumer that isn't raunchy. I don't have viruses. I don't send shit back to you. I don't create a whole problem in your ecosphere. And I would yeah. love to see Visa MasterCard go after these retailers and say, hey, you can't do that. Watch. They're going to try and say, you cannot offer a discount for Bitcoin. They've done it on cash. Okay. Hey, you can't offer discounts for cash. Okay. This is then, okay, now we understand what the real rules are. They're trying to protect their game. And then we can attack them for violating the rights of a human to be able to engage in any type of commerce. And if Visa Mascot start telling retailers, you can't take this, well, that'll be a very interesting uh, case in the Supreme Court, in my opinion. So did, um, did I go off let's did talk- I go off course on your, on your question? But like this is gonna be a real battle on payments, man. Yeah, and then let's uh, the last. I want to talk just one more thing. We'll talk about the battle over payments, and then I want to talk about some of the time frame. You content. You, you said a couple times that you think adoption takes a lot longer than most people think. So we'll get to that. But just back to the battle over payments. The other big piece in battle over payments, in my opinion, seems to be the government and just regulations or, or laws, if you will, right? And so you mentioned earlier um, taking like this big vinyl record, and now you have you know a million records or songs in your phone. Uh, and actually, it was different. We used to have, if I wanted to listen to Beethoven, I had to have like a 100-person orchestra. Uh, to get a 100-person orchestra to vinyl was a big deal, and then vinyl to CD, and then eventually oh, yeah. now we have a, th- a thousand in our phone. And so we saw like music, movies, and books got digitized pretty quickly. And 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 that was that was a hard fought battle. I mean, the music labels and music industry and movie industry, they're big and they fought hard, but yet they were still put out, right? Because when the idea is a thousand times better. The problem is now is we have the government and the government doesn't lose. Uh, and not 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 easy. And so uh, the big problem that I see with the payment piece is this tax complication. Now, uh, going back, shout out for your company, Node40, you're trying to make this tax compliance piece easier. Um, but like, no way am I going to try to figure out what my tax is owed on a cup of coffee. Like, that ain't going to happen. Like, what, what's the point of trying to figure out that for a cup of coffee? Um, even if the soft, even if your software works really good, I still don't care, right? Um and I think that is probably something really big in its way. Now we have game theory. We got Nicaragua. I'm sorry, El Salvador, and you know, potentially other countries. Um, but do you think that's like one massive obstacle sitting in the way for for actually going to payments? Um, you're assuming that Visa and Mastercard aren't state-owned companies pretending to be public. But I have no history in my entire capability of reading history books where you had organizations turning off entire countries' access to credit cards, yet they're public, and their stock price goes up. It's, it's a very odd thing to me, okay? I, I think there's so much 
inner wiggling between Visa and MasterCard and the U.S. government, it, it's frightening. It's the only way that you can show me why Visa and MasterCard 40-year-old companies have a net operating margin so significantly over the Googles of the world or, the, uh, or any company. And because including ExxonMobil, Okay, like I do not think that if the credit card industry failed tomorrow morning that anyone's going to like lose any sleep over it. The system's not going to stop. We'll go to checks and cash. If energy stopped flowing tomorrow morning, we would be freaking out. People would be dying, okay, in hospitals. Uh, so why does Exxon trade at a 10% net operating margin and everyone thinks they're evil, yet Visa operates at a 51% net operating margin, zero competition for them, and they own 72%. Them and MasterCard own 72% of the entire plastic market. That, that, I think you are dealing with already a government. Like, they're just pretending to be public. So that's the world we live in. Um, the, this technology is so cool that it's going to, put another, I mean, American Express has not been able to tap this thing. Nobody, dude. Ant Financial tried to come to Europe uh, with, with Alibaba, and they did not, could not penetrate this market. You're not going to get a, a piece of plastic in a human consumer's hand without that consumer protection. Okay? That, no chance without the chargeback mechanism. So it's a way to block people from coming in the space. The cool thing is it's such a large number that, and it keeps going up. There is no stopping these friction problems. The only way you stop them is you start over. Okay, like you, you can't fix this. There are seven vendors in every transaction, man. There's a decline rate. Have you ever had a decline on a Bitcoin transaction? Uh, no, ever? it doesn't happen. 13% in the United States, dude. 13% decline rate after all these refunds and after all the chargebacks. The entire system's broken. We don't really need to even compete with them, okay? What we need to do is make sure we understand how long adoption takes and that we're not being stupid. Like, you're not going to get adoption from the consumer in America on scale with Bitcoin. You might do it with a, a, a CBDC initially, okay, and get them educated. But you got to decide, is it first an investment vehicle or is it a spending tool? To your point, you don't want to spend Bitcoin for coffee, and you should, probably shouldn't right now. It's probably not ready for that level of its evolution. What if that needs to be in five years? What if, yeah, I, I build a case that Bitcoin needs to be at about half a million to a million dollars each so that we stop talking about Bitcoin and we start talking about Satoshis, okay? And then by that time, you could differentiate and go, hey, look, these, like this is gonna be a regulatory problem. Once they validated it as a commodity, why are you spending it you know, on orange juice, right? Because um, it, 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 it's, you're going to pay capital gains on that. How we get that fixed, what we don't want them to do is go, okay, now it's a security. No, it's a commodity. Um, 
So I, I don't know the answer. I, I know that anyone spending money on coffee, you know, literally you have a, you're exposed to capital gains. I don't think anyone's going to come after you for it. Um, but, but it's clearly something that needs to get addressed. Okay. Cause I don't spend my dollars. Somebody said the other night, Hey, every time you spend your dollars, you're taxed. No, that's not true. Dude. I don't get a capital gains every time I spend a dollar, a unit of, of a paper. So I don't know the answer on the retail. I, I would say that it doesn't make sense today to spend any of that um, on coffee. Um, and maybe if you're in El Salvador and it's prominent, well, it's in, it's in San Salvador, it's uh, El Salvador, nobody's going to see it. Um, so I, I don't know the specific answer to how we get there or when the scaling happens, but we will underestimate how long it takes and then we will overestimate how long it takes you know it, like it just happens all at one time there are a lot of people yeah. coming in this space though and and the plumbing on plastic is so bad mark that it's just going to take off the tops and that's to me if you look at it from gaming gambling adult whatever you think about those industries they're micro transactions and plastic won't work with micro okay it, less than a dollar plastic really is problematic you and i you know you and i are gonna have robots in a year and a half we will have robots i think my robot will send you money and it's going to send microtransactions and we're going to be a leased economy and plastic is not set up for lease look what's happening with their subscriptions one of the reasons they have so much friction in chargebacks is the subscription model well the the, the industry wasn't built for subscription um so anyway, that's that's my answer. And you, look, Visa and Mastercard are going to invest heavily in this space, man. It, as long yeah. as the regulator, the problem is, them, I think to your won't... point, the 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 plumbing the plumbing's all messed up. And um, you know, this is sort of what um, you know uh, Strike had said they wanted to do. Now we see um, ICE, which is the parent company of NYSE, has a company called Backed, and what Backed is doing is is something similar, where they want to use the Bitcoin Rails to transact the payment, but you don't actually work with Bitcoin. So. I send you pesos, you receive in yuan. Um, that transaction moved over a Bitcoin rail. Neither of us know that, and it doesn't matter. So they're doing that. I think they rolled that out uh, a couple months, two months ago maybe. Um, and then they're trying to create, um, what do they call them, L-U-R-L's or whatever, where basically we could have like Gary at lightning.com, right? And I could just send you transactions that way. Uh, but getting to yeah. that point where you said no one's talking about Bitcoin, they're talking about SATs, but where you could use this or you could benefit from the technology without having to know it's about Bitcoin, right? When you turn on your light right. switch and you don't know how that light came on, you just turn the light switch on, right? Um, I FaceTime my, my wife and I don't know how the heck her face shows up on the screen. doesn't matter. I just use it. Um, and so, you know, that is here. Um, it's starting to take hold. Um, right now, you know, BACT is enabling banks to send dollars and receive yen. And it just happens to go over Bitcoin. They don't need to know that. Um, and so it's happening. And I would agree. We'll, we'll kind of wrap this up. I agree. Um, I've talked about sort of uh, an adoption over like a 40-year period. And uh, we're about a quarter of the way through that. Um, if we look at, at Venmo, I was looking up earlier when you were talking. Um, and we saw that. Uh, I had it in front of me here. Um, it took, uh, it took uh, from 2015 until 2022 to get to 80 million users. Um, and so, you know, things just take time. 
most of us just uh, just expect uh, expect way too much too soon. Um, so I think give it give it a couple of decades. It's certainly coming on, and um, yeah, no no stopping a good idea. You know when you when you when you're when you're disrupting an environment, you really want it to come faster, right? Um, you always or I think you're everyone's. I'm always optimistic that it's going to happen faster, but it always takes longer than I think. And but when it happens, like I then underestimate the impact every time I've done this now four times. I'm quite certain that I am overestimating how underestimating how long this is going to take. And then I'm grossly underestimating the impact, which is so exciting for me. Having this background in energy and payments and seeing this happen again, it really allows me to put on a monster, monster position with a huge amount of conviction. Um, and it's literally like, Hey, it, am I off by 18 months? It, it's only about that really. So to me, it's an awesome, just starting back on the venture piece. It's an awesome investment thesis that quite frankly, all the operating businesses, like I've looked at a few mining deals and I, every time I'm like, damn, dude, I just like buying Bitcoin at 42,000. It's less headache. Yeah. I don't think I can do that mining. It's no human error issues. I don't have a CEO to deal with. I don't have his wife to deal with. You know, there's issues in these operating businesses. Long term, I think you want some big operating businesses in this ecosphere because it's going to also bring you a lot of intel as to what's going on. Um, so that's my, my long interest is in owning companies in the industry. Um, so that's just the way I look at it. But next three years, man, this is a no brainer. Yeah. All right, Gary. Well, we went long, a lot, a lot of good information there. I appreciate it. Um, it was fun, fun conversation. Look forward to seeing you again in person in real life, as we say here on the interwebs. Um, what do you want to, what do you want people to check out? Uh, where should they go to find more about what you're working on? You know, I, I do, I'm starting to do a lot of stuff on YouTube and Twitter, um, bringing on people like you, I think. Um, I, I would like to help educate people and get them out of the, the, the noise and try to bridge the gap between the old world and the new world. I think I'm the right age for it. I communicate pretty simply. Uh, to your point, you don't know how Facebook works and you use it every day. You don't think, oh, are they right. stealing all my data? Yeah, they are, dude. They're probably stealing all your data. But you're not, I drive down the road in 100 miles an hour in a Range Rover. I have no clue how that car works. So I don't need to understand everything. I need to understand who am I dealing with on a human level and who are the people against me on a human level. And then I get to make investments and, and build my life around the risk I see, I see out there. And, and this is a cool, cool, cool opportunity. And you don't have to be rich to buy Bitcoin. You could not buy any Bitcoin. You could build a career in this industry. That's the cool thing without a resume, man. Just come into the industry, start learning. I bet how many people could you hire tomorrow? You I mean, if they had the right skills, you know, cer cer certainly we're hiring. Yeah, yeah. See, and and you're having a hard time finding people that show up on time, work long, study. Like my my secretary, first thing she's got to do, man. Hey, dude, you need to go learn some robotics, chat GBT, read the Bitcoin standard. First four months is just you know dive. Go deep, figure out what you don't know. So I, I just think you're going to you're going to employ millions of people in this industry, and that to me is a great story that's not told very much. Yeah, good. All right. 
Well, with that, we're going to sign it Bye, off, Gary. Um, oh. Thank you, man. Okay. I've enjoyed All it. All right. Thanks, Gary. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.